Good morning once again to all of you. Please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if it would be helpful for you to use a pew Bible, you can find it on page 962. We arrive today at the end of this epic chapter that for over 2,000 years now has challenged us and encouraged us and reoriented us in our thinking all about resurrection. The Bible has a lot to say about resurrection, but there is no other chapter in the Bible that has as much to say about it as this one, and no other chapter in the Bible that takes as much time to say it, 58 verses as this one. And as we come to its conclusion today, looking at uh, verses 50 through 58, I hope and I pray truly that we as a congregation hear its message because it's very possible to listen to someone and maybe listen to someone for a very long time, but not really hear them. Many of us master the art of this in school. I know I did, especially in math class. I could listen to the teacher or professor for a whole semester, and I never heard what he was talking about. Many of us have mastered this at home or in the office. Someone can talk to us, and we're listening audibly, but we're not hearing them really. We're not receiving their message. Far too many people have listened to the message of the gospel which is the message of the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but have not heard it. They've not heard it. It's gone in one ear and out the other. It's never taken root in their heart. And far too many Christians have listened to this message and read about it, been to Bible study about it, maybe been to seminary about it, preached about it, but they've not really heard it. Many Christians live functionally as if they haven't heard the gospel. They've only been half listening. What a tragedy it is when the message of the gospel, of the death and the resurrection of Jesus falls on deaf ears. This happens outside the church. It happens inside the church. It can happen at the receiving end of a pulpit. It can happen right in the middle of a pulpit. And in the end, and at the end, they may know a lot of things, but they might not know Jesus. And that's a tragedy. So we come to these nine verses today, and in a sense, it's as if the Holy Spirit says to each one of us, speaking through the inspired words of Paul, did you hear what I just said? Did you hear it? really hear it. We have the privilege today of hearing again, or maybe for the first time for at least one of you, the good news of what God has done and won and secured for us in Christ. If you've been tracking with us in our series in 1 Corinthians 15, you might be familiar now with sort of the trajectory of thought that Paul has taken us on. He started off by reminding us of what he called matters of first importance. Jesus died. 
Jesus rose, and the real Jesus really appeared to real people. Then he told us why this is important. And it's important because if it wasn't true, then everything about our life and everything about our death is totally pointless. But since in fact this is true, everything in life, and I mean everything, and everything in our death exists under the dominion and the domain of a risen and reigning and soon returning king. And so then Paul invited us, you'll remember, to wake up. Remember that classic line, wake up from your drunken stupor. Live in the light of the resurrection. We can live in our bodies here and now, hearing the reverse echo of the sure and certain hope of our resurrected bodies there and then. And all of this, all that we have covered so far that Paul has talked about, all of it is because of Jesus. It's all grounded upon him. It's all held together in him. And it's all validated by him. And that brings us to our text for today. The grand finale of this chapter. If Paul had had fireworks, he would have been lighting them off during this chapter. Paul is ready. We'll see this once again here at the end of this chapter to preach an Easter sermon. Somebody say, preach it. Preach it. Okay. Okay. If you say so. So let's hear again. Hear again the message of Easter. And the first thing we hear in verses 50 through 53 is the mystery of resurrection. This is the mystery of resurrection. And it's accomplished by Christ. Verses 50 and 53, these two verses here sort of act as bookends to convey very much the same thought, the same idea, which is what needs to be accomplished in order for us to inherit eternal life. Let's look at these two verses, 50 and 53. So first, verse 50, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And then he says very much the same thing in verse 53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So there's a problem, verses 50 and 53 tell us, which is this. Our current dying bodies and sinful natures cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Our current perishable bodies cannot inherit the imperishable, the immortal. There is a total incompatibility between our current self and our future self, between this present kingdom and how it operates and the future kingdom and how it operates. For this current self to enter into heaven, it has to be utterly and completely transformed and this is a problem because this current self cannot transform itself. All that this current self can do with itself is to die. And so Paul preaches to us a mystery, a mystery of resurrection. And this is good news because this is not difficult for Christ to accomplish. The very thing that we cannot do which is to make ourselves fit for eternal life 
is the very thing that Jesus can do and will do for us. You told me to preach it. Verses 51 and 52. Behold, Paul says, I tell you a mystery. The New Living Translation is helpful here, I think. He says, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. Now, who among us, if someone close to us, someone we know and love and trust, or maybe not even know or love or trust, says to us, I got a wonderful secret for you. Who among us will say, no, I'm good. No, thanks. When we hear someone say those words to us, I'm going to tell you a wonderful secret. Our ears perk up. We lean in. Here's what Paul says. I tell you a wonderful secret, dot, dot, dot. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Paul says, let me reveal a wonderful secret and let me shout it from the mountaintops. Let me proclaim it to every man, every woman, every nation, beginning in Jerusalem, thundering across all time. And it's this, the very thing we cannot accomplish, our salvation has been accomplished by Christ. And the very thing we cannot accomplish, our resurrection will be accomplished by Christ. Christ has accomplished, Christ will accomplish it, and it's as easy for him and as quick for him and as effortless for him as the twinkling of an eye. Huh. Do me a favor, just blink one time. See how easy that is? How quick that is? That's how easy. That's how long it will take for Jesus to accomplish the final resurrection. The twinkling of an eye. Your body's gonna die one day, and it's awful. It's painful. It's tragic. But also one day, some angel somewhere is gonna blow a trumpet in the vicinity of your buried body, and faster than you can even think a thought, your body is going to come up out of the ground. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. A few um, Sunday nights ago, Catherine and I saw this segment on the show that you know that I like to watch sometimes called Shark Tank. This was about an entrepreneur who, I'm not making this up, would receive from a family the ashes of a deceased person or a dog or a cat and would turn them into little memorial rocks for the family's garden. I've got to say, it was hard to eat my nachos during this particular segment of Shark Tank. But I want to address this because some of you might wonder about things like this practically. When the trumpet sounds, the bodies of all who have died in Christ, buried, cremated, scattered, and I suppose even those who have been turned into garden rocks will be raised in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know how God's going to do it, but it's easy for him. So I say it with certainty. 
The bodies of all who have died in Christ will be raised in the twinkling of an eye. The jury is still out when it comes to cats. But for those who have died in Christ, yeah, twinkling of an eye, the twinkling of an eye. This is the mystery. I'm going to get emails about that. I know it. This is the mystery of the resurrection. It's a mystery. We cannot accomplish this. We cannot put on the imperishable. We cannot put on immortality. We have to be clothed in it. It's all grace from beginning to end. It's the gospel that proclaims to us we are clothed now in a righteousness not our own, and we will be clothed then with an immortality not our own. It's all grace. So Paul throws in here in the middle, you might have noticed this, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's what he means. He means some of us, maybe us here today, we're going to be alive when Christ returns. Some of us. Paul might have thought it would have been him. He thought maybe he'd still be alive when Jesus returned. Here's the message. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. One day soon, we're going to hear that heavenly trumpet, and we shall all be changed. So let me check very quickly before I go to my next point. Did you hear what God just said? <laughs> That's the mystery of resurrection. Now the victory. The victory of resurrection. And it's a victory given through Christ. Verse 54. When all this happens when we're clothed in all of this, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And the saying he's about to quote is a mixture of something Isaiah said and Hosea said, both written about 750 years before Christ. One day, at the final resurrection, the words of Isaiah and Hosea will come to pass. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus is going to hold death up by the throat just before destroying it once for all. And he's going to mock it to its face. He's going to say, oh, death, where is your victory? death, where is your sting? And then he's going to give the final answer. But not so fast. And not quite yet. And it's not so easy for us right now in the in-between. Because it sure looks like death has an awful lot of victory right now, doesn't it? And I may not be great at math, but it sure looks like death eventually wins 100% of the time. And it sure feels like death still has its sting. I've felt it. I know you've felt it. If you haven't yet felt it, you will feel it. One day death will be mocked by Jesus to its face, but it sure feels like death does the mocking right now. And that's the reality that verse 56 points out. This is our reality right now. 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. No matter where we run, we can't escape it. We are surrounded by the effects of sin. We're surrounded by the effects of death out there in the world and right here in our own natures. And that's what Paul means, by the way, when he he says here that the power of sin is the law. He's not saying the law is sinful, not at all. The Bible teaches the law is perfect, beautiful. What he's saying is that the perfect law of the Lord serves as a kind of mirror to us pointing out our inability to keep it. Sin has power over us, and the law reminds us of this if we're ever tempted to forget, that we can't escape it. We can't escape sin in this life. We can't escape death. So we can't sit here today hearing this passage and minimize the grief and minimize the pain and minimize the destruction that sin and death wage against us every day. But we also can't sit here as if Christ has not been raised because Christ has been raised. And so what that means is while we sit here, yes, and feel the pain and the grief and the destruction of death, and while we hear in our ears the voice of death mocking us, and lying to us, we can hear an even louder voice, the voice of Jesus, the voice of the resurrection and the life, and he's calling out even now, louder by faith, we can ever dare to hear by flesh. And he's saying, what's that death? Where exactly is your victory? What's that death? Where exactly is your sting? Have you forgotten the cross? Have you forgotten the blood? Have you forgotten the empty tomb? I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. That's what Jesus is saying right now to death. Can you hear him? Can you hear him? 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Say that verse with me. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the victory of resurrection and it's given to us through Christ. His victory, his triumph, his conquest given to all who call upon his name. Jesus is our victorious champion, and he's also our vicarious champion because we never lifted a finger. As a matter of fact, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus went to battle for us. Jesus waged war for us. Jesus won decisively for us And Jesus offers the full fruits of his victory to all those who belong to him. And we need to hear this today. We need to not just sit here and listen to this and say, yeah, I know, I know, come on, move on. We need to hear this. 
Jesus has won the victory. It is done. It is certain. It is secure. It is guaranteed. If this just goes in one ear and out the other, we might think somehow death might win. We might think somehow I need to win. We might think somehow I need to fight and we'll live hopeless and we'll live exhausted and we'll live as if we haven't heard the gospel. So hear it again today. Good news. Christ is victorious and Christ will be victorious. So stop living hopeless, dear Christian. Stop living exhausted, dear Christian. And start living confident in Christ. And when you hear the mocking voice of death, and you will, when you hear it laughing at you, daring to drag you into despair, you, believer, have every right to laugh back. We know the end of the story. Jesus wins. And all who are in Christ will win. So we grieve and we lament and we wail over the darkness. And yet even at the grave, we make our song, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. How in the world are we audacious enough as Christians to do that? To dance and sing and even laugh in the face of death because of 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the victory of resurrection accomplished by Christ. Because that's true, we have the certainty of resurrection We are alive forever in Christ. Because of everything that's been said, because all that it means, and because Jesus is alive, verse 58, here at the end, encourages us, therefore, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord Your labor is not in vain. Remember, if Christ had not been raised, then your labor would very much be in vain. But since Christ has been raised and we are alive in Christ, then everything we do in Christ is most certainly not in vain. Now, I want to say this. Here at the end of this chapter, verse 58, this is not some kind of empty kind of pat on the back for us. Paul is not saying, well, I hit him hard with theology in the first 57 verses. So here, you know, let me just give him a pat on the back. That's good. You you get on with life now. You work hard. It's it's all going to work out. Your labor is not in vain. It's not what he's saying. It's not a patronizing pat on the back. This is a check to make sure we've heard the gospel. (laughs) Because if we really believe the mystery of what God in Christ has accomplished. And if we really believe the victory of what God in Christ has given, then we will really believe the certainty. We are alive forever in Christ. And if we are alive forever in Christ, then our faith is not in vain, then our life is not in vain, and then all that we do 
in our life in Christ is not in vain. The certain hope of the resurrection ought to transform how we see our lives. Everything we do, we do in the Lord. It's all wrapped up in the resurrection. One commentator I've been reading through this series, C.K. Barrett, says this about this verse. Since it is done in the Lord, it can no more perish than he. That's helpful, isn't it? If you are a part of his new creation, and praise God in Christ you are, then everything you do in Christ is also a part of his new creation. N.T. Wright says it infinitely better than I ever could in his book, Surprised by Hope. He writes, you are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become in the due course part of God's new world. He continues, be encouraged by this this morning. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture or comfort and support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures, And of course, every prayer, every spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. Praise God. You're part of the new creation. For the believer... It's not only you that has been included in the new creation work of God in Christ. It's also what you do. This is the certainty of resurrection. We're alive forever in Christ, and then so is the living fruit of whatever we do in Christ. And because of that, we can press on. We can press on. As Eugene Peterson put it, with a long obedience in the same direction. And that direction is toward Christ. So because of the resurrection, hear that verse again. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now you may have heard that the well-known Christian author and teacher, pastor, scholar, uh, Tim Keller passed away two days ago, this past Friday, after a several-year battle with pancreatic cancer. The night before he died, his son Michael wrote this on social media. Over the past few days, he has asked us to pray with him often. He expressed many times through prayer his desire to go home and be with Jesus. His family is very sad because we all wanted more time, but we know he has very little at this point. In prayer, he said two nights ago, 
I'm thankful for all the people who've prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. Tim Keller hadn't just listened to the message of the gospel. And he hadn't just preached it and written about it, though he certainly had quite well. Tim had heard the gospel and he believed it and he received it. He got Jesus. He trusted in Jesus all the way to the end. And in the end and at the end, he knew a lot of things but none of it mattered. The only thing that mattered is that he knew Jesus. How about you? If you have heard and believed and received this good news, and if you have trusted in Jesus, then you can say, like Tim Keller, I can't wait to see Jesus. To see the one clothes us with righteousness, who clothes us with immortality, to see the one who is the resurrection and the life. We're going to see Jesus. We're going to look him in the face. We're going to see him eye to eye. And until that day, dear church, press on. You hear me? Press on. Let's stand together while we pray. Guide us, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrims through this barren land. We are weak, but thou art mighty. Hold us with thy powerful hand. And when we tread the verge of Jordan, Bid our anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction. Land us safe on Canaan's side. Then songs of praises, songs of praises we will ever give to thee. We will ever give to thee. Amen.